0: Let's go ahead and remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. Now, I didn't uh, give Mark a heads up on this, but we're actually going to read Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16 through 25. That's a change. I'll give him a second to correct that. I just want you to hear the whole context of what we're talking about this morning. Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 16. And since it is a little longer, I'll read it as, uh, as you follow along on the board. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, excuse me, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, once again, we, like your servant Samuel, we ask you to speak, for your servant is listening. Lord, this morning we have before us a wonderful portrait of Christian maturity, the goal that every single one of us should be striving to achieve. We know we cannot achieve it on our own, but only by your grace. And so, Father, as we have looked at this section and this um, instruction to walk by the Spirit, and now as we see the harvest of fruit that he brings into our lives as we do that, I pray that this is a growing reality in everyone's life that is under the sound of my voice this morning. And if it isn't, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Or perhaps there's one here this morning that has never repented of their sins and trusted in you for full forgiveness, for full salvation and life in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's how you need to draw them this morning. We pray you would. Lord, perhaps there are Christians this morning who have been walking in the desires of the flesh and, and as a result carrying out the deeds of the flesh. Lord, we pray you would convict them so that they may repent. And live in a life of trust to you, that they may mortify the flesh, the old man, and put on the new man as they're renewed in the spirit of their minds this morning. Lord, whatever our needs are, we pray that you would speak to them. That, Lord, what we are hearing here is not the wisdom of man, but it is the word of the Lord. And we pray that we would treat it as such, we would respond as such. And that we would walk out of here, not only with a higher view of who you are, but also with a higher understanding of who we are to be in Christ. Help us, Lord, to reflect you in our community, to one another, to our spouses and children and grandchildren. Lord, help us to demonstrate you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You may go ahead and uh, turn to Galatians 5 and your copy of the Word of God. As you're doing so, I will tell you that uh, this is a little nostalgic for me because um, I surrendered to the ministry twice, really. I surrendered once when I was 17, and, uh, but then I walked away for a little while and, and decided I wanted to do other things, and God kind of got my attention again in college, but uh, when I first surrendered to the ministry at 17, they asked me to, you know, they just kind of threw me to the wolves. They're like, great, you can preach in two weeks. And, and so I preached in two weeks. And the text I preached was this passage, was on the fruit of the spirit. And it was so bad, I don't recall having ever preached on them since. <laughs> um, in fact, I was just out of curiosity, I, I called my mom and uh I said, Mom, do you still have the tape of my first sermon? And she said, No, I threw it away. I was like, Why don't you throw it away? She said, It was a really bad sermon, Randy. And so uh, so hopefully it'll be a little better uh, this morning. So. I haven't had really the courage to go back to it before now. So. But Galatians chapter 5, and, and really if you recall what we have been talking about throughout the book of Galatians, that the fundamental issue is the idea of spiritual maturity. How is spiritual maturity brought about? Is it brought about by keeping the law and trusting in our own ability in our flesh to keep the law and follow God, or is it brought about by being justified by faith in grace and and being uh, secure in our relationship with Christ, and there and then there out of grateful and faithful obedience pursuing uh, sanctification? Which one brings about spiritual maturity? And as we have hammered over and over and over again in Galatians. Is that the truth is that we are saved uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone and that there is no other means of salvation. Salvation comes only when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone and the work that he has done for us. And when we come into contact with that message, when we are truly converted, that's when we change. That's when the change comes from the inside out. It isn't a it isn't a uh, uh, a striving to be obedient to external laws, but it is living out of the internal change that Christ has wrought within us through the gospel. It is it is a new creation, a new heart, is what he tells us in Ezekiel that he takes away our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He puts a new spirit within us. That is, the, that is the new covenant. And so the question is, what does spiritual maturity look like? What does spiritual maturity look like? Well, we've seen in Galatians chapter five that you can, you can really call this the Holy Spirit chapter because Paul mentions the Spirit over and over and over again throughout uh, chapter five, but there is one command he gives and in this text, and the reason why I wanted to read the whole text this morning is because I wanted you to see that he begins this text with this command and he ends it with this command. And so everything we read in between should be read in light of that. And that command is we are to... To walk in the spirit, we are to walk in the spirit. and we talked about what that meant a few weeks ago. And so now the question we have to ask is is what does it look like when we are walking by the Spirit? What does spiritual maturity look like? And you know there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions out there of what you should look like when you are spiritually mature. and 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 you can ask a lot of people and you'll get a lot of different answers. But I'm interested in the portrait that Paul gives. I'm interested in the one that that the scriptures give us. And that's what we have here with the fruit of the spirit. It It is a portrait. It is a picture of spiritual maturity. This is what every single Christian is striving for in sanctification. This is the fruit that the spirit is working to produce in us. And we need to say a couple of things up front. And by the way, I don't know that I'm gonna get through all of this today. I know we had some extra stuff and I don't wanna keep you until one o'clock this afternoon. So like I did on that first sermon that I preached, but we do need to say a couple of things up front. I want you to notice a couple weeks ago when we talked about the deeds of the flesh, I want you to notice we talked about the deeds of the flesh and that was in relation to the desires of the flesh, that the deeds of the flesh are what we do in order to obtain the desires that we have. We do what we do because we want what we want, right? And so when you have the desires of the flesh and you're being ruled by the flesh, then you're going to do the deeds of the flesh in order to appeal to your flesh, in order to satisfy your flesh. Those are the deeds of the flesh. But I want you to notice here that today we see the fruit of the Spirit. There is a a clear contrast here that deeds is plural, but fruit is singular, And if you remember what we said when we talked about the deeds of the flesh is that no one does them all, but we all do some. All of us do, right? And so nobody can look at that long list of the deeds of the flesh and say, well, maybe you can, I don't know, I hope not. But none of us can, can look at that long list and say, man, I've done all of these. But on the other hand, when we come to the fruit of the spirit, we see that This is something that is expected of all believers. It is singular. It is something that God expects for every single Christian. In fact, a better way to understand this word fruit is is actually harvest. This is the harvest that the spirit brings about in our lives. You say, well, Randy, I don't really know if I agree with that. Well, let's hear the words of our Lord himself. In John chapter 15, verse 8, where he says, Here, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we are God's disciples, that we are Christ's disciples? We look at the Bible where we signed our name and date, right? No, that's not what the Bible says. We remember whenever we prayed the sinner's prayer, when we walked the aisle. When we did this or that, no. How do we prove that we are truly his disciples? Because we're bearing fruit. That's how. We bear fruit. In fact, Jesus says in that same context that those who are mine will bear fruit. And so this is, this is the authentication that we are truly his disciples. This is expected of every believer. And when we are walking by the Spirit, allowing him to lead us, then this is the harvest that he produces in us. The harvest of the Spirit, these nine characteristics that he gives us. So we're going to look at three aspects of this harvest this morning. By the way, I was told last night, that's like, you know, I, um, we were with some friends and, uh, and one of our brothers said, uh, you know, I'm, I really like it that you always do threes because it's always predictable. I know where you're going. I said, yeah, it's amazing how God, you know, divided up his Bible into three points every single text. It's just amazing how he does that. But anyway, we're going to be looking at three aspects this morning of the harvest of the Spirit. And and we're going to be looking at the means, we're going to be looking at the fruit, we're going to be looking at the responsibility. And again, I'm not sure that we're going to get through all of it this morning. We'll come back and, and get what we missed next week. But beginning in the means of the harvest in verse 22, let me get back there. Here's what he says. Let me continue to get back there. In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, now stop right there, because I wanna say a couple of things about the means of the Spirit and and, and how the Spirit works in our life. Like I said before, there is a clear contrast here that we need to see just in the word deeds and in the word fruit. There is a very clear contrast that I think Paul is really trying to bring out. And the first one is that the fruit, this harvest that, uh, that the Spirit brings in our life, the number one thing we need to understand is that it is, in fact, caused by the Spirit. Now, the deeds of the flesh, those are the things that we produce Those come from us. All of our righteousness, our best righteousness apart from Jesus Christ is nothing but filthy rags. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal value, of eternal salvation significance. Everything that we do for God, everything that is given by God is in fact caused by him. And there's a clear opposition between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit that we see here. Like I said, the deeds of the flesh are those things that we do to achieve the desires of the flesh. You want pleasure? So you sin in order to get whatever form that takes, whatever form of pleasure that takes. You want escapist? You do whatever you must do in order to escape. You do whatever it is. It's the things we do to try to achieve our fleshly desires. But notice Paul does not contrast it here with the deeds of the Spirit. He doesn't do that. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a result of strenuous effort. It's not a result of flesh-empowered adherence to laws or rules. It's not summoning up by self-deception. You know, you'll meet Christians like that sometimes that you know, they're just so afraid to admit that they're having a bad day that they, that they try to make themselves joyful. They try to pretend that they've all, they're always joyful because in Christ, we should never have a bad day. I actually heard a preacher say that one time. It's not true. That's not real life. So it's not something that we're trying to summon up by, by self-deception or deceiving others. It's not even natural. It is the fruit of the spirit is supernatural. It is something that God brings within us. It is something he does within us. The fruit, the the word fruit, the word harvest dictates the fact that it is in fact the spirit who is doing the work. He's the one that is doing it within us. The spirit brings about this maturity and within us as we receive the spirit at salvation and are guided and controlled by him. This is the harvest he produces. Romans chapter eight. Verse 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How does he testify with our spirit? Is that talking about something mystical? Is that talking about some feeling we get? No, not necessarily. There are some contextual things there. But one of the ways he he testifies with our spirit is that we are seeing this fruit produced in our lives. We are seeing this fruit working itself out. And so... These are the concrete manifestations of the Spirit's work in our life. They are caused by the Spirit. They're brought about. He does the work within us. But beloved, just like we've said before, that doesn't mean that we are completely passive. That doesn't mean that we just sit back and wait for these things to come. No, they are caused by the Spirit, but they are also cultivated by the believer. They're also cultivated by the believer. And this is one of the mysterious aspects of our faith. This is this is like the Trinity being three in one. This is like Christ being man and God. This is like God being sovereign and man responsible. This, this is one of the mysteries of our faith that, that yes, our sanctification is caused by the Spirit, but it is also cultivated in the believer working together in such a way that if you are not cultivating sanctification, you are not going to be sanctified. And yet, if you are cultivating sanctification, it is God who is actually sanctifying you. That is one of the mysteries of the faith and how God works with our efforts. It's just like in agriculture. You know, the, 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 the image that Paul is, is, is bringing this from is from the world of agriculture. You know, the farmer, no matter what he does, he cannot force the harvest to come. What's gonna do that? Chemistry. That's it. There, nothing else can do that. Only the chemistry can do that. But he also doesn't sit around and wait for it either. What does he do? He cultivates the soil. He irrigates the land. In fact, farming is some of the hardest work that God's ever put on this earth, mostly because of the curse. And so he has to work. He has to work extremely hard to cultivate the ground. But at the end of the day, even though he cultivates it, he doesn't cause it. What causes it are the things and the laws that God has put in place in order to make it come. And so just like that diligent farmer, he works diligently and tirelessly to cultivate the ground in the same way we are called to cultivate our souls in order that the harvest can be produced. So yes, it is, it is caused By the Holy Spirit, but it is also cultivated by us, such that, beloved, and and I say this with, with, with pastoral love, I want you to know this. But if you are not being sanctified, it is your fault. You are not cultivating that relationship, you are not cultivating that sanctification, you're not living in obedience to His Word, not in order to gain righteousness, but because of it. And so we need to understand that. You say, well, Randy, where are you getting this? Because paradoxically, every one of these fruits that we see is elsewhere commanded in the New Testament. Every one of them. Every one, there's a corresponding command in Scripture, and I just went ahead and put a really big slide up, so if you're taking notes I'm gonna leave it up there for just a few minutes for you to get all those verses down. We're not gonna look at them. We'll mention a few though. Once again, we're not passive in this, but but there are commands for each and every one of of the spiritual fruit that we are to cultivate in our lives. For instance, love. Oh my goodness, how much could we say about the commands to love one another? Jesus says, a new command I give you to love one another. In fact, he even says, you know, for all the church growth seminars you go to, he even says, by this, the world will know you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. How does the world see that we are disciples of Jesus? Because we love each other. That's, why, that's how. It's not our marketing techniques. It's not our, our light and fog machine driven worship. It's the fact that we love each other. And people will forgive any shortcoming in a church except a lack of love. And so all the commands, in fact, we just saw it in verse 14 in Galatians that all the law is summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a command. Joy. You can't command joy. Well, nobody told Paul. Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, peace. Let not your heart be troubled believe in God also believe in me also Romans chapter 14 verse 19 as far as it depends on you be at peace with everyone we see others here patience colossians 3:12 it's one of the things we are to put on kindness second timothy chapter 2 verse 24 election season is over here's what it says The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to reach, patient when wronged. We also see patience there. Goodness, just a a page over for most of us. Some of us, not even a page over. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. You see gentleness, you see self-control. So throughout the scriptures, we see that that these are not just harvest things that, that God puts in our lives. Yes, he does, but they are also things that he commands us to cultivate that he commands us to do. He commands us to find practical applications that we do. How can we show kindness to someone this week? How can I be patient when someone wrongs me? What are the uh, We are to be actively pursuing these qualities and everyday applications. We are responsible to keep ourselves oriented toward God and the spirit in order that he will produce this harvest in us. And what a harvest it is. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here do not want to be loved? Anybody? How many in here do not want to have joy? You know, I know some people that seems like they're happiest when they're miserable, but most people don't don't want to be like that, right? Don't point fingers. (laughs) And so um, we want to be joyful. We want to have, how many of us don't want peace? How many of us don't want these things and yet we see that they are cultivated by the Holy Spirit? You know, often, so often that when we have desires of the flesh, what they really are is they are corrupted desires of these things. And what we do is we think that sinful things, we think other things will bring us peace, will bring us joy, will bring us love, will bring us this or bring us that. And so we think that there's something worldly that will do those things. And so we do the deeds of the flesh in order to get this corrupted desire of the flesh we have, which is really a good desire that we have twisted into something sinful. It's just like when the prodigal child asked his father for his inheritance and it says that he gathered all those things. What that's actually talking about is he actually went and and sold it all. He liquidated it so he could get cold, hard cash out of it so he could then go and spend it however he wanted to. And of course, we know what all he did. But according to the laws of the day, whenever he did that, he only got half value. He, He took all of his father's gifts and basically he cheapened them. And if you think about that, that's what sinful desire is. It's taking something good, it's taking something right that God in his grace, in his love, in his creation, in his created order wants to give us. But we have taken that and we have cheapened it. We have corrupted it and we go after fleshly things to get it because we think everything else in the world is gonna make us happier than God will. And so the desires of the flesh, all of these things that That God has told us that I will produce this harvest in you. It doesn't make us passive. It doesn't make us passive. And so, someone comes to you and says, I'm trying to grow, I'm trying to grow as a Christian. And we ask the question, well, what are you doing? I'm praying. Okay, that's good. That's good. You definitely want to do that. None of this can be done without prayer, without dependence on the Spirit as we see. But what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you cultivating in your life? And, those, and, and as we talked about When we talk about walking in the Spirit in those little moments of the day that add up to our life, not the big decisions that we usually focus on, but in the little moments of every day, are we walking by the Spirit? Or are we fulfilling the desires of the flesh? Are we cultivating these things in our life? Remember, I I asked you, how many times have we made a big decision for Christ only to go home Or leave the revival meeting, or leave the camp, or leave the conference, whatever it was, to go home and get in our routine, and that big decision dies the death of a tiny thousand tiny little decisions that takes you the other way. So, what are we doing in those little moments that seem so insignificant, and yet they are hugely significant precisely because they are small? What are we doing in those moments? What are we doing at those times? I think that's about as far as I'm going to get today. It's already 11. Can you believe that? Time flies when you're having fun. And so so just looking at that first phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, it is caused by the Spirit. And beloved, I want you to understand this for a moment. And I'm talking to you this morning if you are an unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever, I just wanna stop right here and focus, I wanna to talk to you very quickly. Let me ask you a question, do you want joy? Do you want love? Do you want peace? Do you want to know the kindness of God? Do you want to know the goodness of God? Do you want these things in your life and yet you are going to everything else to try and get them? Beloved, those things are going to fail. What do we see here? The fruit of the spirit, just like agriculture. They are caused by the spirit. They are brought about by the spirit. These are internal things that do not depend on circumstances. They are there because the Holy Spirit is living within us. And so if you're looking for these things and you're going everywhere else to try to find them, stop doing that. Most of your desires are corrupted versions of these things. So, beloved, seek pure water. Drink from the well, not from the broken cistern. Drink from the pure water of God. Come to Jesus Christ. Know that he is the only savior, that that he came and lived an absolutely perfect life that you can never live. He earned your righteousness and then he paid your penalty on the cross. And he proved that that was sufficient for your salvation because he rose three days later from the dead and is now ascended to the right hand of God, offering himself to you as a savior, as a deliverer and a rescue from your sin. And if you'll place your full faith and trust in him, repent of your sins, trusting in his full forgiveness, beloved, you will have the life of Christ. You will have God living in you. And he will produce this harvest in your life. He'll give you what you're looking for. And I want to talk to the Christian for a moment. Maybe you are here and you're saying, Randy, I'm looking at this portrait and I know this is not me. Every, this is not a pick and choose thing. Every one of these fruits is part of the harvest that, that the Spirit is producing in you and you're looking at it and saying, this is not me. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking by the Spirit? Or are you walking in the deeds? Are you walking in the desires of the flesh? Are you doing the deeds of the flesh in order to get those sinful desires? Which one dominates your life? Not in the two or three times a lifetime big decisions, but in the little momentary decisions every single day that you're making thousands of, which one is dominating your life? Is it the desires of the flesh? Or is it the desires of the spirit? How can can the spirit produce this harvest in you? Beloved, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's the controlling verse of this entire passage. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So whatever you need this morning, we want to give you time to respond to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are great and mighty in our lives. You are good. You produce this harvest within your people. You, You give them everything that we need for life and godliness in this world. And Lord, if there's one here who is looking for these things, but they have a twisted version of them, they are seeking them out in the ways of the world. They are seeking them in ways that are Dishonoring, that are unsatisfactory, and they keep failing over and over and over again. Lord, I pray you would draw them to yourself this morning. Open their spiritual eyes that they may see that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning, they are a believer, but Lord, they know they're not mature spiritually, they know they're not spiritual. They know that they are fleshly, they are worldly. Lord, I pray this morning you would use this time to cause them to desire to cultivate these fruits in their lives. Lord, we can only do that by your grace. So I pray you would use your word to cultivate that desire in their hearts this morning, to implant the desire within them to want to cultivate these fruits. You are the one who gives us both the will and the strength to do your will so that we may work out our salvation in fear and trembling. I pray you would do that work in the lives of your people this morning, myself, my family, my covenant community. Lord, I pray you would do this work in us. It is in your name we pray, amen. Isn't the Lord worthy of all glory and praise and honor? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing this tribute to our God and Savior.